Welcome to the Pattern Podcast from KFC in London. As a church, we want to learn ways of being with Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things he did in order to see this city we love transformed. This podcast is a resource to help us explore these spirit-filled patterns of living and start putting them into practice every day. For this episode on the practice of intercessory prayer, we chatted with John Tyson, who is the lead pastor of Church of the City in New York City. He spent last summer exploring the sites of some of the greatest revivals in modern history. So we wanted to ask him what he's learned about prayer and how his church is putting it into practice themselves. Hey John, great to um, speak to you over Skype all the way from New York City. Thank you so much for giving us the time to chat about this. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me on. Love your church. Love what God's doing through you. Honour to be a part of it. Oh, man. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Um, we're chatting today about intercessory prayer. So can we kick off just by asking you, what, what do we mean when we say intercessory prayer and how does it differ from other forms of prayer? Well, intercessory prayer, in essence, is praying on behalf of somebody else or standing between God and somebody else and and seeking and pleading and asking on someone else's behalf. So adoration and worship is primarily prayer directed at God for who he is. Contemplation often is about beholding God and can result in deep internal reflection about our relationship with God and intercession is sort of other focus. So if there was an up in and out, this would be the sort of outward focus of prayer. Okay, awesome. So where where do we see that in the Bible or and particularly maybe in the life of Jesus himself? Well, I mean, in the intercessory prayer is basically the call of the Christian life. In Genesis 18, you have Abraham who in friendship with God, God says to him, shall we hide what we're thinking? And uh, so you start with Abraham uh, as the the first Old Testament example of uh, interceding. Then you move to Moses who... uh, In an incredible passage, God says to Moses, you will be as God to me before Pharaoh. So he's literally standing as a representative of God to Pharaoh pleading for deliverance. And again, he carries that spirit when he intercedes for the children of Israel. You've got it with Hannah in 1 Samuel, where uh, she is barren and she stands up and pleads uh, for God to open her womb. So she's she has intercession on her behalf, but it's for the nation as a whole. You have intercession with Esther, who's praying and fasting, going before the king, saving the nation. You've got Jeremiah preaching, praying, interceding, Elijah changing the history and destiny of nations, Daniel, who's interceding. In the New Testament, you have Simeon, you have Anna, Paul, Epaphras. So intercession is... Yeah, yeah, and we haven't even got to Jesus yet, but Jesus' whole life was intercession. So his entire ministry was an intercessory ministry, standing on our behalf before the Father to plead for us and to pay the price for us. And uh, so, you know, in Isaiah 53, it says, he makes intercession for the transgressors. And uh, we see Jesus' deep commitment to this on the cross where he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He's literally pleading on their behalf with himself in the middle. But I think one of the things that's, that's always struck me about intercession in the life of Jesus, after his ascension, when he sits down at the right hand of the Father, We ask, what is Jesus doing with his time? Hebrews 7 says he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our needs. His holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and exalted above the heavens. So Jesus' whole ministry post-intercession is a ministry of intercession for us. So this is extraordinary. So to become like Jesus is to take on God's heart on behalf of others and to to pray and to plead for them. So I I honestly think it's 
essential and central. Awesome. So if, if, if it's this kind of prayer on behalf of others, this pleading to God, wh- what's the sort of relationship between intercessory prayer and faith? Um, uh, and, and actually, if you, if you follow that through, is there an element of God's action in this world which is somehow dependent on us and our, and our faith for this stuff to happen? Yes, I definitely think it is. Um, you, well, intercessory prayer, as Walter Wink has said, is spiritual defiance in the way of what currently is. So intercessory prayer requires faith because when we look around at our world, unless God breaks in, for the most part, things will continue to trot along based on human forces, human power, human decision, human action. And so intercessory prayer, it requires belief that God will step in and change uh, the course of things. So I, I think it does require faith. It requires faith in who God is. Do we believe that He's present? Do we believe that He wants to act? And it requires faith in ourselves that God has chosen us, that He wants to use people like you and I, ordinary, everyday people, to accomplish His purposes through prayer on earth. So yeah, it's faith for the invisible to change. It's faith that God wants to move, and it's faith in ourselves that He he has chosen to use people like us. It's all wrapped up in faith. Awesome. So there's there's obviously Jesus interceding for us in his life um, and amazing stuff happens. But what about for you personally or for your church? Or I know you spent a lot of time over the last year looking at revivals and spending some time traveling around and going to some of the places where revivals broke out. Like, what are the stories you've been able to hear about or, or have experienced yourself um, around this whole idea of intercessory prayer and what happens when people pray like this? I mean, I have... Um... I have some some small answers to prayer, and I have some New Testament level answers to prayer. So in in, in you know in small intercession, uh, you know praying for my own children, um, just just watching their hearts over the course of time. You know both of them have wrestled with doubt. That my sons are eighteen, my daughter sixteen, and so just praying, Father, I stand between my children and you, and I'm just asking your kingdom to break in. So I've watched God melt you know, the heart of my children in my home. And um, the the way it happened for my son was dramatic. You know, another youth pastor gave him a prophetic word and it just broke his life open and he became a Pentecostal tongue speaker overnight. And my daughter was sort of like a glacial slow melting. You know, she's sort of like slowly over years warmed up. And uh, so, you know, I've seen it in my own home. But I'll just tell you a quick story. I I had a really dramatic uh, intercessory answer to prayer. I had a, had a very wealthy friend who uh, basically came to me one day and said, I felt like um, God's told me to uh, sell a piece of land and give, your, give the money to your church. And uh, in, a, in a tragic circumstance, shortly after he said that to me, he died. And uh, it was about four, four years ago or so now. And, um, you know, we were getting ready to start a ministry in our church called Pray NYC, which was a movement of prayer for spiritual awakening in New York. So we basically wanted to start a translocal prayer ministry to sort of cultivate and just build a culture of prayer in our city. And so I did a 30-day fast. And uh, as a part of it, I just said, Father, would you please just release those resources from four years ago that was in the heart of that guy? Can you just release those to me? So right when we, we launched the fundraising campaign, uh, for this new ministry, out of the blue, I haven't talked to his his widow in in almost four years and barely knew her. 
And then I get this random text that says, the Holy Spirit this morning prompted me to give you $100,000. The check will be there tomorrow. So half of the money we needed to launch our new prayer ministry showed up. And I didn't share that with anybody. It was just, Father, I ask that you release those resources that that man had in his heart to, to bless our church and to, and to build your kingdom here in our city. So, I mean, that was like, nobody knew that. That was a 100% private conversation between the father and I through intercessory prayer and pleading. And uh, that's so, you know, it's small things like caring about my kids and large things like kingdom breakthrough and releasing resources. And then what about all this stuff, you know, visiting the Hebrides and, and learning about the Moravians and how they interceded for years um, and then saw extraordinary fruitfulness? So what, what have you learned from those trips? And Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's actually, yeah, I mean, I've learned so much, mate. I mean, it could be a, it could be a 10-day podcast. Um, the primary thing, thing I would say is this, is that everybody talks about the two elderly ladies who prayed in the Hebrides, Peggy and Christine, and how they just covenanted to pray together. But when you really study what happened, there was just altars of intercession in every home. So it wasn't like these two disproportionately, you know, older ladies personally broke the thing down. There was just a culture of prayer. And in the Hebrides, that actually experienced a revival 10 years earlier. And there were still remnants of prayer all over the island. There wasn't remnants of awakening, but there was remnants of intercession. And so they actually called the entire Christian community to pray and to plead together. So to me, it's not just like a couple of disproportionately important people. It's just like, it's, it's, a, it's an army, it's a movement of everyday people creating an environment of hunger across a region that really actually changes the spiritual climate of things. So I think what God wants to do, it's never just creating spiritual heroes, it's never creating celebrity uh, Christians, it's just a movement of everyday people getting a vision for intercession wherever they are and, and literally creating an environment of expectation, hunger and prayer that the Holy Spirit can move in across a region. So that was probably the biggest thing I realized same thing with the Welsh Revival and many other places. There's highlights that get attention, but it's actually built on the everyday prayers of normal people crying out to God. Okay, so if we, I think both our churches are, are, are passionate about cultural renewal and seeing our cities changed, um, and, and the kingdom breaking into every sphere of society. What's yeah. that? What's what's intercessory prayer got to do with that? And and I suppose what you're just talking about in terms of it being in the hands of everyone, every day, everywhere, um, is is intercessory prayer at the heart of our visions to see culture renewed? Well, I certainly think so. I mean, one of the verses that gets used a lot is Jeremiah 29, 7, which is, seek the peace and prosperity of the city into which I've carried you into exile. So a lot of people talk about living as exiles on post-Christian culture and staying in cities and working its renewal and participating in every sphere of society and all those sorts of things. But we miss the most important part of that verse. It says, pray to the Lord for the city because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So under the, the defining underlying verse of sort of post-Christian faithfulness, renewal and presence is praying to the city because if it prospers, you prosper. So, you know, if a renewed heart is what ultimately produces renewed culture. So when Christians basically take the, the renewed heart, that new covenant cry for the kingdom of God, and they express it in the sphere that God has for them, that's where it begins to create sort of that climate and hunger where people can do this. So I encourage people all the time, look, the number one thing I would say is get to your workplace wherever God has you 10 minutes early and just pray for the kingdom to come and Jesus to be lifted up and the Father to draw people to himself. And as you do that as a practice, we found time and time again, God helps believers find each other 
And then when they do that together, you get these little portals of, of intercession in, you know, sometimes it's in, it's in cafes, it's in investment banks, it's in PR firms, it's in nonprofits, but there's people just asking for an inbreaking of the kingdom. So I think it's vitally connected as a foundation for the, the good work we do uh, in pushing towards that redemptive edge. And so as you guys have practiced this in your church community in New York, um, how, you know, there we're talking about praying for the city and seeing the city change. Well, how has it actually shaped you and, and, and you guys as a church community? Well, one of the things that it's done more than anything else, it's just broken the selfishness off of our hearts and off of our eyes, you know. I mean, that, that's the main thing. We just find, I mean, I just literally, before I walked in to do this podcast, walked into a room there was probably six people there in our prayer room and they were just, they were praying for unreached people groups and missionary suffering persecution. And, and I'm telling you, there was, there was almost nobody there. And I walked into a wave of the tangible presence of God, just started weeping. It's just, it's changed our heart. So, you know, the, the number one emotion Jesus felt was compassion. He was moved deep in his heart for the multitudes. And so that's the thing that's changed us the most through intercession. We've actually touched God's heart. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of folks who get pretty weepsy pretty quickly about the brokenness of the world. So that's that's the number one thing that it's done. Yes, we see answers to prayer. Yes, we've seen like really amazing impossible salvations happen and, you know, some legitimate miracles. But the most important thing is like we touch and feel Jesus' heart for our city. And that's what, that's what the church should be. It shouldn't just be an organization with, well, it shouldn't just be disciples with strategies and plans and initiatives. It should be people who feel what Jesus feel. And that is what the world is aching for. I think the heart of Jesus to be expressed through the church. So, Okay, so we, we, there's a lot of vision there for, for um, intercessory prayer as part of the, the regular everyday life of, of our church. What about um, the, the experience that seems to be so common, which is um, essentially managing, engaging with our disappointment, almost, you know, when we pray and long for something and yet seemingly, or from our vantage point seemingly, nothing changes much and over time. So how do we engage with that sort of disappointment and, and the longevity piece of this, but also... Um, at the same time, kind of nurture hope that things will change. Yeah, I mean, Jesus has a parable in Luke 18 where he says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show that they should always pray and never give up. And, and so Jesus seems to understand in the kinds of parables he tells um, that it will be hard and that we will be tempted to give up. So to me, I think it's, it's really, really important to to just be faithful in it, you know? And look, we can't control God. I mean, you know, prayer is no matter what we think, it's a mystery, you know, and it takes time to grow in it. And I, I think often, I remember reading a book by um, Reese Howell, who wrote the book called Intercessor, and I, I, it deeply impacted me, but it, it, it said at the start of his ministry, in trying to find the will of God when he was younger, it would take him months of sort of agony and fasting and crying out to God before he'd even get clarity on what to intercede for. And uh, towards the end of his life, because he walked with Jesus in such intimacy, someone would walk in a room and he knew immediately what God's will was. So, you know, it just, but that took him decades and decades of faithfulness and listening. So, you know, the problem with our generation or particularly uh, younger generations is they're used to having everything immediately. 
and uh, sometimes it just takes time and we just have to be faithful in that. So I get, I try and keep my eyes on Jesus. I try and always stay in the gospels and uh, I try and make sure that I'm loving God, not just for what he does, but for who he is. So focusing on the heart of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus and uh, getting my eyes off the results sometimes, you know, that, that to me has uh, been very helpful. Okay, yeah, sometimes you can in, look in the, in the church community and there are certain types of people. There, there, there are people who are interceding or they or would refer to themselves as sort of intercessors. Is there a particular personality type that this kind of prayer is, is sort of more suited to and they find it easier? And what, what do we uh, do if we don't sort of feel ourselves to be wired as an intercessor? Um, yeah, so I, I the number one thing that surprises me um, is, is there's two things. Number one, how weird intercessors can be when they genuinely have a ministry of intercession because so so few of us really feel the burden and heart of God and then being exposed to the intensity of the emotions of God can often be disconcerting to a lot of people. But so you, you get around some people, sort of prophetic intercessors, and it cannot be church as normal. But on the other side, I'm often amazed at how diverse the personality types are that actually often end up really getting into this. So I don't think there's like an Enneagram number or, you know, a, a Myers-Briggs profile or whatever it is that says these people are intercessors. I'm, I'm often surprised at who ends up getting really into intercession. So I don't think it is. I think God uses whoever's available. And it's often amazing who becomes available in the economy of God. So I wouldn't think, well, because I'm not outgoing or because I don't like to yell, um, I'm not an intercessor. You know, so I just would say, just like ask God for his heart and be faithful in the practice and just see where he takes you. You know, like I, I have had some sort of intercessory gift on my life since my entire my entire faith, since I became a Christian uh, when I was seventeen, but I don't have a uh, an intercessory personality. My number one gift um, is is not intercession, but I've just sort of gotten into it. So nobody, I think, when I was younger, would have said, "Oh, John's got the intercessor personality." You know, I just sort of got in environments where it was valued and was discipled by people who cared about it, and it just became sort of a part of my life. So nothing excludes us. And availability makes us vessels that God can use. So don't don't think it's not for me because I'm not like fill in the blank. And I suppose what you're saying earlier in terms of learning from those great revivals is is that this is powerful and it's in the hands of everyone. This this idea of praying on behalf of others, interceding for the city. Yeah, I mean, here's a classic example. So Duncan Campbell in the Hebrides revival, who's you know who's the known figure, the main evangelist who is uh, preaching in it. There was times when he couldn't get spiritual breakthrough, where he'd call on the 16 year old kid, uh, Donald McFain, and you know he would this 16 year old kid would pray the kingdom into the room, pray the breakthrough. So you know God's using 16 year old teenagers when the official evangelist leading the revival can't get breakthrough in his own prayer life, you know? So we often forget that um, the Holy Spirit can use anybody who's available. Teenagers in the greatest revivals, very, very common. Small children, uh, when you look at what happened with the Moravians, like that, they would say the, the intercessory prayers of the children would melt to your heart. You know, so it's, it's for everybody if you're available. That's awesome. Um, so you wake up, one morning, you're just not feeling it. You're just not motivated. What? What? How do you? How do you still pray in those moments? 
Oh, for me, mate, it's, you know, the feelings follow faithfulness. I mean, if you only do what you want to do, you're probably going to, you know, like, you're not, you're probably going to have Netflix and just hang out and do, what are you going to do with your life? You can't live your life based on feelings. You've got to live your life based on values. And my experience has been, you know, so I, I live in a building on purpose that has a prayer room in the basement. And our church has, and so our church officially offers three hours of facilitated prayer a day. And um, so when I go in there, there, many times I'm like, I don't want to do this. I want to go drink coffee. I'd rather walk around. I'd rather read a book. And sometimes it can be hard to sort of enter in, but I I never leave without saying, man, I touched the heart of God. I'm grateful to be there. So, you know, we're not called to let our feelings define our faith and we trust that they will follow obedience. Blessing follows obedience. And um, so I would encourage people to do it and let the feelings follow. And so aside from sort of not feeling it, not feeling motivated, um, in, in a city like New York, much like London, um, and in the culture that from your vantage point, you understand the culture, which you like, what, what are the other ways that we sort of feel prevented or somehow um, distracted from this kind of prayer life? Yeah, I mean, it's, I know that New York is pretty similar to London. Um, what sort of gets in the way of us praying? Um, everything. <laughs> Everything, man. I mean, there is a conspiracy of the enemy uh, to keep us from seeking God. And there's also a, just a conspiracy of the culture. We're in a, a society where there's a, a war on our attention, you know. And so there's been several big books written on uh, the attention economy and attention merchants. And uh, I think there's so many things that, that just get in our way. Psalm 73 was a, a psalm that I really encountered God through last year. And so you've got a worship leader. Asaph, who is leading in the presence of God, but it's, he gets distracted. And uh, so he says, as for me, my feet had almost slip. I nearly lost my foothold. I envy the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. And it's like he's looking at the wrong Instagram feed. You know, he's just like believing the lies and hype of our culture that nobody else struggles. And, uh, and he even says in verse 13, surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Like, what's the point? What's the point of serving God? The wicked seem to have it easy. But when he goes into the household of God, it said, when I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterwards, you bring me to glory. And this is the phrase that took over my life. Who have I in heaven but you and on earth? Nothing I desire besides you. And that was it. So like what we pay attention to determines the affections of our hearts. So we always say attention leads to adoration. What you look at, you long for and love. So we have to be very, very careful to what we, we need to curate the intake of our attention and affections and uh, make sure that when we stay in the gospels, when we are reading God's word, when we win other believers and we get our eyes of the sanctuary vision rather than the cultural vision, that to me has been something that has helped me build those patterns and rhythms and push back on the illusion of our culture. So someone's listening to this and they're like, they're being stirred. They're kind of like, come on, yeah, I want more of this in my life. I want to pray more like this. Um, tomorrow they wake up, how, how do they start? Like what's the first thing that they do? What are the first few practical steps of engaging with this kind of a, a prayer life? 
Well, I mean, it would. I, I think the first thing I would encourage people to do is to, is to take it small and slow, and you know, just don't create some like I'm going to do a 20 day fast and I'm going to intercede three hours a day. I mean, that just sounds exhausting. You know, do what you can do. So maybe it is it's just five minutes, and you just get to your workplace early and you just say, Holy Spirit, I ask you to 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 help me pray and just put on my heart. Here I am, I give you these next few minutes and just pray for your building. Pray for grace and peace to flood where you work, to flood your neighborhood, flood your flat, flood your home. And um, and then just do that consistently. Just make yourself available for the burden of God. The, the, see, the interesting thing to me is if you, the, the scriptures say there's two intercessors. We have Jesus, the great high priest, and we have the spirit who intercedes for us. Jesus prays whether we pray or not, but the spirit requires our participation for intercession. And so when we say, when we make ourselves available, even for a few minutes, say, Holy Spirit, I'm available. Pray through me. I don't know what to pray. Help me. Putting yourself with the Spirit, even for a few minutes, can open doors in your heart, in your building, in your life, you never know. So I'd say, honestly, be consistent, start small, um, you know, get together with a few of your friends and just commit to do this on your own. You know, you can, my basic take is we need to increase our intensity and intentionality. We don't need to radically change the rhythms of our lives. We need to infuse intensity and intentionality into them. So most of us have a circle of friends. Why not infuse intercession as a part of it? At the last 10 minutes of every meeting, let's just spend 10 minutes praying for our friends five minutes praying for our friends. So you want to weave it into the everyday sort of rhythms and patterns of your life. That's where I'd begin. And then I'm sure your church, and I'm sure there's other movements actually in London where churches get together specifically for this. So maybe it's like visiting events quarterly or monthly and, um, you know, do what you can, not what you can't. Start small, build up, go where there's other intercessors and um, just open your heart to God. John, thank you so much for sharing with us today. It's been really helpful. Oh, no worries, mate. Love you guys. Uh, grateful to be a part of it. Thank you for listening to the Pattern Podcast. If you'd like to explore more spiritual patterns of living, head over to pattern.org.uk.